Are you wearing a Napoleon Dynamite shirt? Yes, she is. I freaking love that about you. I am. I saw it earlier and I didn't want to ruin your concentration, but I was like, is that Napoleon Dynamite that I see? Tina, you fat lard. I spotted the afro and I was like, I need to watch that with Rachel. Like that needs to be a thing that we do together. Cause I was just thinking the other day, God, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I actually haven't watched it a long time. I wonder if it's still good or if we'd watch it. That's why I need to watch it. I'm pretty sure it it is. Like this is not funny or we would die laughing. We would die laughing. Are you kidding me? Megan said, Tina, you fat lard. And we both almost (laughs) fell out of our chairs. Okay. All right. Yes. That was very off topic. I apologize. It's perfect. It was perfect and completely relevant to the conversation. Okay, let's move on. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Rachel. I am soon to be mother of two with Montessori training an infant toddler, which is ages birth to three years old. I'm here with Laura, mother of one who has her Montessori training in lower elementary and upper elementary ages six to 12 and Megan, mother of two with her training in lower elementary ages six to nine. So let's start by catching up. What has everybody been up to this week? Megan, do you want to share? Yes, I get to go first. (laughs) My week started off so wonderfully because I got to hang out with Laura and her little baby girl. And that's why I was glad I went first because you always steal my thing. Like your birthday party. I stole your thunder <laughs> on your birthday party. Swiper, no swiping. Do you remember that? <laughs> Do I remember it? She loves Dora right now. Oh, yeah, she does. It is swiping, actively in my no life. Swiping. Every time we eat something, it's yum, 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 yum. Delicioso. <laughs> That's so cute. Um, so, yeah, we went to this really, really epic park that has Mm -hmm. a train and a carousel and boats and geese and like a little walking trail. And our children just went crazy and rode the train and just had a really great time. I am currently this week parenting solo. So that has been a challenge. My husband is away for work, which happens quite often. So it's nothing new, but Oh, the highs and lows that come with this. So I usually wake up in the morning and I am unstoppable. I'm just like, I've got this. Why do people even complain about parenting? It's not even that hard. And then like <laughs> 10 o'clock, no, 7.05 comes around. I'm like, I can't do this. It's too hard. And so, yeah, it's just, it cracks me up because it's just an emotional roller coaster for me being at home with my children all day, every day from sun up to sundown. So 
I'm fine. <laughs> I'm good. It's fine. I'm fine. Um, but yeah, I'm very tired. And so I'm going to hope to show up to this uh, episode with gusto. Is that the right word? Gusto? Yeah. I think so. I think that works. Hey, Italian. Is it Italian? <laughs> <laughs> well, as the resident expert Italian, because I am actually Italian, Megan, I will say that place, that works. You can say gusto. Okay. So what have you... You can't say what I said. Yeah, great. I'm just kidding. You can say whatever you oh, want. No, no, no. I, that definitely was a highlight. That was so freaking cute. We've been to that park before with Rachel and Finley, and she knew there was a teeter-totter there because of that <laughs> outing. So she was pretty jazzed, but we hadn't ridden the train before. So that was like a whole experience that she enjoyed so much, despite the just like straight up death glare of daggers <laughs> that she gave that to you. The entire ride around the park. <laughs> she looked like she was just offended that she was. Like, <laughs> yeah. How dare we provide her with this amazing quintessential childhood experience? Monsters. Um, no, she loved it. And you took the girls on the train by yourself, which I saw that. Yeah. Bravery at its finest. They're awesome, though. They're so good. I know she walked away with them and I was like, I think it's going to be fine. Obviously, it's a fun thing, but having two-year-olds they have to wait in line mm-hmm. which is yeah. not as we've talked about toddlers aren't known for their overflowing <laughs> amount of patience yeah so having to wait in line and then once you get on the train you have to wait for them to fill it all up and so it takes forever yeah so I was like I wonder how she's gonna do with that and they did wonderful tell you my secret my secret is actually this is is this one what the, a secret is? This is putting this is your me. index fingers together, touching over and over again is me <laughs> telling you a secret. Okay, a secret is that so you can't tell because it doesn't matter. I'm pointing actually a lot at Rachel right now. My fingers are meeting on Rachel's face because I a very aggressive. She knows <laughs> it's not meant to be. My hands are just put them down. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> this has derailed terribly. I didn't even want to. What is matter. the secret? My secret is that you have to sing. You have to sing. And this only works for this age right now. You sing ridiculous songs just the whole time. You're making up these silly little songs and they're looking at you half like, yes, this is a jam. And the other half of them is like, is this lady for real right now? And Rachel, you probably know what I mean, because I feel like I learned from being in toddler classrooms that singing a song, it was the best way to like immediately captivate everybody. I feel like it's all I do. Like they come to a circle and you want a bunch of two-year-olds and younger and slightly older to stay seated. You start singing songs Mm -hmm. and everybody's like, I am here for this. Right. Let's hear it. At that time, it was probably like, we're waiting in a line for the train, a line for the train, a line for the train. We're gonna ride this awesome train. Yay, yay, yay. You know, like it doesn't even matter. It's whatever's coming to my brain. I'll just start singing walk, walk, walking feet. And all of a sudden, everybody just starts like slowly walking. Yeah, it's the best tool that I have in my toolbox. And it it totally worked at that outing. All right, Rachel, what about you? Well, I just hate that I'm missing out on all these playdates lately. But my life has been busy with my sister's wedding, which is this weekend. So I had a bridal luncheon I went to and we were home start of the weekend off at my parents' house. It's been a pretty typical week other than my toddler just literally going haywire, y'all. I mean, I swear in the bathtub last night, he screamed no to me 
so many times and his body was like bloodshot red from just screaming no at the top of his lungs and i've been solo pretty much for like the past few weeks just garrett's just really busy at work trying to get ready for paternity leave so yeah I was just like, you can keep screaming. I have nothing else to say to you at this moment in my life. You're two, and I feel really defeated right now. Oh my gosh. But other than that, the wedding's this weekend. It'll be great. And then it's spring break, so. Oh, we're so close, dude. We're so so close. close. Hanging on by a thread. And we're going to spend more time together with all of us. And then I'm going to have a baby, which I don't have my life together for that either, but we're not even going to go there, so... You have time. You're ready. Maybe. You're ready. You're ready. I just need to get the bassinet down and then I'll be fine. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Well, we'll be back after this break. Did you know that the human brain has about 100 billion nerve cells present at birth? The network's structure is formed by experiences children have in the first three years of life. Love Every designs their products for learning with a team of experts, academics, researchers, and specialists to make sure they're exactly what your child needs and loves. Their award-winning play products meet your child at each developmental stage. We love that they are thoughtfully crafted with sustainable, organic, and natural materials. We are all fans of their play kits and all of our babies have loved the play gym. We are excited to offer you free shipping on your next Love Every purchase when you use the link in our show notes or in our Instagram bio at Montessori Moms in the Wild. Happy playing! Okay, let's move into today's topic then. Laura, I think you're going to jumpstart us for that. Yes. Okay, so today's topic is sensitive periods. So a phrase that is heard over and over again in the Montessori philosophy and mentioned several times on our show already is this idea of a sensitive period. So the sensitive period, as defined by the APA Dictionary of Psychology, is a stage in development when an organism can most rapidly acquire a particular skill or characteristic. So as applied to children, this is basically a window of time during a child's development where the child is extremely fascinated by and attracted to certain skills or concepts. And therefore, they seem to learn these things more quickly and easily. It just almost comes naturally. They are like little sponges and they just absorb the skills more quickly during these specific times. That isn't to say that skills aren't able to be acquired outside of these windows. They just seem to happen again more easily and naturally in these windows. So before we even get into what the sensitive periods are for each age, we do really want to make it super duper clear that every child's developmental window or pace of development is different. And this is just a general developmental timeline for when these sensitive periods could occur and seem to occur most often. Please do not worry or panic if your child is developing at a different rate on their own timeline. We urge you to respect and trust that journey for them while also consulting your pediatrician with any concerns. Okay, another reason that we really wanted to cover this before we get into exactly what they are is that we feel that this is an important concept to understand in parenting because when your child is not in a sensitive period for a certain kind of task or skill, This is where you may see more behaviors like tantrums or other big expressions of big feelings to show you that they're not ready for that thing yet and they're not in that sensitive period yet. Or maybe, 
the opposite, the window has passed and they are now showing you no interest in that skill or that thing. And they're being pushed out of a boundary that they are trying to hold firm without you even realizing that the boundary was there. So understanding what they are and why they are important to the development of the child is just really important to both capitalizing on them, being able to sort of like get the content in that window and really give the opportunities during that window. And also if a window has passed, you understand that a child can acquire those tasks and understand those concepts, but just might not be super keen on it or excited to do it all the time. And it might feel like sometimes you're forcing it. And so sometimes it's okay to back off. Okay. So I feel like that kind of establishes why we think they're important. Did I, do you guys feel like I missed anything? I kind of wanted to just like add some background. So this phrase sensitive periods came from Dutch biologist, Hugo de Vries, de Vries. I don't know Dutch. I don't know. It's either de Vries or de Vries. One of those things or not that. It's not, yeah, it's going to be like Vries or something <laughs> completely <laughs> different. Um, and so he was a biologist and he studied the development of animals. And I just wanted to say this because we've talked about it a lot, how amazing Maria Montessori was that she took this idea that was being used in biology about animals and applied it to human development, which hadn't really been done before. In Maria Montessori, Her Life and Work, it's a book by E.M. Standing, he says that no part of her teaching is more important and none more original than this. So this is a huge, huge, full foundation of the Montessori method is this idea of sensitive periods. And I just wanted to kind of highlight how freaking smart she was to do that. Like animals go through metamorphosis of kind, like think about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly and that there are conditions that are extremely favorable for development in different stages as they grow and change. And she used that for children, which is just mind blowing. So I just wanted to highlight how amazing that whole idea is and how it even came to be through her study. Yeah, she's the bomb. I also think that it's probably a good part of the reason why people feel that the method can be so successful and that children seem so advanced and so put together because capitalizing on those sensitive periods, like I mentioned earlier, is such a huge way to boost the development of the child in a natural and respectful way too. And I just think that this is such an important concept. It, it truly does make a difference in the experience for the kid and for the adult in the kid's life. Yeah. I mean, and that like, that's our goal. Like we're trying to help you as parents understand this philosophy more and use it in real life. So like knowing these sensitive periods, it may be like a, like a light bulb when you hear, oh my gosh, well, it would have been so much easier if I did it then. And now I'm seeing this because, you know, maybe we're out of the window and maybe give some explanation to what you're experiencing. Yeah. And I mean, it's a relief too, to know that this is their journey that they're going on and when something works one month and doesn't work the next, it's not anything you're doing. Yeah. Yes, we have to adapt. And yes, we have to be mindful of what they're going through. But it's not you, you know, so sensitive periods, we can kind of describe them as like impulses. They're irresistible impulses for these kids and babies, toddlers. They can't help but do them. And they are as this 
this like transition piece to serve a purpose and to gain a certain skill. And once that skill is acquired, the impulse will die away. And so again, one of the reasons that it's important to capitalize on these sensitive periods is because they will die away and you there's only a certain time. Now, I do want to say that knowing that this might stress some of you out because it kind of stresses me out yeah. sometimes when yeah. I think, oh my gosh, I only have three years and it's my child's already two and I only have one more year left. So deep breath for us all. They are little sponges. They're taking everything in. They're going to get what they need. And we want to make it as easy of a process and enriching as a process, but they're going to do it either way. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say earlier, that it's not that once you're outside of these windows, you cannot learn these skills or attain these concepts. That's not true at all. I think like, for example, when we get into the sensitive periods, everyone knows language seems to really explode in kids at a certain time. So for example, when you're learning a second language as a younger child, it does tend to be absorbed more easily than when you decide in say your thirties that you now want to be fluent in something you've never spoken before. It is possible, but it is quite effortful. So again, the human mind is amazing. Neurons can prune off and can actually be like reinvigorated to a degree later down the road. It's just that it's more work to sort of relight those pathways than it would have been to keep them going when they were already naturally lighting. And that's what the sensitive period is, is those things are firing on all cylinders right now. And so you can do things to really help like groove those pathways and make them more permanent. But you also can circle back later to things that weren't maybe capitalized on the time or weren't offered or just weren't a possibility even for some some situations and and do some work there. You know, it's just it's more work is all. You made a really good point, which made me think of something that I wanted to mention is that something that helps us to recognize when a child is in a sensitive period is that it doesn't cause fatigue. So what you were saying is it's quite effortful when they are in this sensitive period it actually creates more energy. They're able to do it for really long periods of time without getting tired. And it brings a stronger and calmer feeling. Maria Montessori described them as divine thoughts, which is quite poetic. She was very poetic at times. She was. She was. She was. And so that's something to note as well is you'll see it happening over and over. They'll do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again without getting tired like Rachel is right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I saw the that biggest yeah. lion yawn. Yeah. <laughs> this is because I was talking about fatigue. Um yeah, so it brings this natural calm. It's a flow state. That's yeah. a good way to explain state. it. That is yeah. a good way to explain it. Okay. We just really wanted to make sure that we laid a firm foundation for why, again, these things are worth trying to bolster or take advantage of. So hopefully you guys are convinced. And now we will move on to what some of the major ones are. So Rachel pulled from her albums, pretty much all of the major sensitive periods for the first plane of development. So that's going to be birth through age six. And so we'll start with large movement or gross motor skills. So that's going to be beginning like immediately birth to about two and a half years old. So in that category, what you're seeing is children are born with very limited ability to control their own movement at first, right? If you've ever had a newborn, you've watched them. In fact, you probably swaddled them at night so that they didn't smack themselves in their own faces. You know, like they, they're very spastic. It's very sudden. It's clear that they're not in control of their own little bodies yet. 
So developing these gross motor skills like lifting their necks, rolling, sitting up, crawling, standing, ultimately walking, all of these things happen typically within the first 18 months of life. Again, we're going to keep naming these timelines and I just keep wanting to mention that like there will be plenty of instances where these things happen either much quicker or they take longer and that's okay. That's okay. So to support them though, during this sensitive period for rapid acquisition of gross motor skills, we need to provide open and safe spaces and places for them to freely explore and and be able to attempt moving. So this, where this one's tough is that this means that you want to try to be really intentional about at least not constantly using containment type items like baby swings, baby chairs, things that they're strapped into, things that just are supposed to like rock them and, you know, soothe them so that you can basically not be holding them, swaddling them when they are meant to be wide awake and sort of limiting again, that movement of their limbs and their ability to explore what these things do and how they work, all of that stuff. We understand that this is not a lot of times the the situation, the scenario is not conducive to this, but just ideally to develop these gross motor skills right off the bat, you're having kind of a wide open, soft area that you can put a baby right down on their back, on their belly, whatever it is, and let them just be in that space. And that again, it doesn't always have to be that they're strapped into something and moving constantly per like a machine. What do you guys want to say about that. Well, I just want to reiterate, you know, we're all moms here and we've all had newborns and we're all busy. So like this whole birth to two and a half years in containment, this is like, there's one goal and the goal is for them to freely be able to move as much as possible. With that, they're building more gross motor skills and having that availability as to where if they are in a swing, they're not, they don't have the option. But yeah, big butt there. But it, it's not it's not always functional. Like if I'm home and I have to pee and my child will crawl away, then I'm going to buckle them in in something because that's a safety hazard. I, I mean, the butt is super important in this. And I want, I want everybody to hear the butt in that because I don't want you to feel like you can never do something and you're going to screw up their development or they're not going to be able to crawl because you did something like that's not at all the thing. This this is just us supporting them in the free movement. But there's going to be so many instances where it's just not functional or it's not safe and you have to make that decision as a parent. I think it's important to say, though, because some parents don't know this at all. Yes. And so, of course, we don't want to make anyone feel bad about putting their baby in a swing if they need to. But some parents, when they start that registry, they're like, oh, I need this stuff. I need the jumper. I need the bouncer. I need the swing. I need the whatever that one is that sits them up, the bumbo seat or whatever. And so you don't need any of that. And it's actually preferable not. If you do have it, we're just saying to be mindful, to use it as necessary, not as a means for that development time. Not constantly. Not constantly. As necessary. As necessary. And so I I think that it's important to say, because there's like the half of people who are like, yeah, I know, but I can't not. And then there's the parents who are like, wait, what? I'm not supposed to do that. So those things are more for the exception, not the rule. So we want them to be moving. We want them to be exploring their new body and figuring out how to get mobile. And that's super important and how to take in their environment and when you need to, to put them in that container. But that that's not something that we want to try to use 
all the time. Yeah. And to play off of what you're saying, Megan, the opposite of, hey, I'm a new parent. I know nothing and everybody does just tell me to register for all the things. Mm -hmm. So I do. But it's we're telling you this because we want them to be given the chance, right? Like if they're always in a swing or if they're in the exercise or in the bumbo seat, you're not giving them the opportunity to move freely or to learn how to sit up independently because there's already a support there for them. So if you're using these things constantly and not in moderation and they're being used all the time, then you're not allowing your child to freely have those opportunities to develop the motor skills to be able to crawl or to develop the motor skills to be able to push up right. because they've been constricted. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of easy way to wrap that up. And this is a Magda Gerber thing, right? Yes, right. 100%. To not put them in positions that they can't get in themselves. That's the best way to say it. So they wouldn't naturally be sitting up. They shouldn't be sitting up if they wouldn't naturally be. And I mean, we could get into all the debates for swaddling and in tummy time, but we're not going to. Basically, we're going to say when you can give your child and your baby free movement, do it. When you can't, it's okay. We still love you. I think you did wrap it up, but I just want a quick editor's note. <laughs> Lord just wants yeah, to I'm say. gesturing again, okay? Yes. I just want to say <laughs> we had a swing. We had a, a mama roo chair. We had a little bouncy saucer guy, right? So like I will cast no stones. But when I could, I also laid out a blanket, put on a floor mirror and let her just do her thing when I could. I could not always, okay? So I get it. I get it. But just food for thought. Food for thought is all. All right. Language. Birth to age six. The acquisition of language from the child's environment begins in the womb and continues to be a significant part of a child's experience. Even infants are highly auditory and will turn their heads towards sounds. In time, they become more visual and they actually pay attention to the mouth while someone speaks to them or around them. Typically, it's around the six-month mark that you begin to hear babbling and sounds coming from the infant other than gas, you know, like it starts to sound like maybe they are trying to mimic the speech that they hear around them, although it is not even close to discernible words yet. They're constantly absorbing the language that they're hearing all around them, and they begin speaking first with single words at a time, somewhere around age two, usually not always, an explosion of language occurs where typically the sentences um, are beginning to come together. You get like words, you get a couple words, you get little phrases, and then eventually full-blown sentences. So generally around age three, the child has absorbed and constructed the spoken language around them. And that could be multiple languages. Between the ages of three and six, a child becomes highly interested in words and their meanings, and then wants to further develop their grasp of language. But it is amazing how quickly a child will absorb the just the, the most subtle nuances of language, expression, intonation, how to deliver things, you know, like all, all of it is is nearly mastered by the age of three in a, in a lot of kids. I think it's really cool, too, because we're all living this right now. Like, I feel um, my little one, I mean, he went from... Yeah, he had an explosion probably right before he turned two. But now it's like all of a sudden there's so many words being strung together. And I'm just like, whoa, like a week and a half ago, you literally were just saying like, stop, no. And now I don't like that. I don't want to eat. Like, I mean, it's like all these other 
it, it's just so, it's so cool to see as a parent too. Cause I've of course seen it as a teacher and I always in conferences am like, oh yes. And at two years old, there's a typical explosion or I'm not worried about language or, Hey, we might need to dive into language more because of I'm not seeing or hearing this, but like with your own child, it's super cool to be actually living it. We were just talking about this, Laura and I, about how the proper verbs are starting to come along and proper pronouns and things like that. And it's really cool to watch and see how it happens. And I do think it's important to talk about this explosion that we're talking about because you kind of mentioned it when you said you were talking to parents. There is this worry a lot. Totally. Because we're parents and we worry because that's just the state that we live in at all times, or maybe it's just me. No, it's not just you. (laughs) It's a state of worrying all the time. I think it's important to say that there are these explosions, so you cannot see it one day and the next day, boom, there it is. So sometimes it does take a little bit of patience. Again, there's always that that period where maybe your pediatrician might say like, okay, let's, let's dive into some speech therapy or whatever that is. But for the most part, it'll come and you just have to allow it to happen. And it's so interesting. Once that explosion does happen, when you look back, you're like, what was I worried about last week? Because it's fine. You know? Yeah. We were, we were talking about it at the park when I told my child it was time to go. And she said, no, mommy, I want to play more. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and you turned and you're like, hey, I understood that. I understood every bit of that. We were talking about how there's a there's like these levels, right? There's like parents have this crazy gift for being able to decipher what their Understand children are babbling child. at them. Yeah. yeah. But it's a whole new level when other people can understand them too. And that's just a really cool feeling of like she's communicating successfully to me and like she's communicating successfully, period. That's such a cool thing to see. The other thing that I want to say about it is that um, I just want to reiterate that they are absorbing it. It does not have to be an explicit, intentional, instructed lesson for them to Mm. comprehend language. Like I have seen, I know of parents who do flashcards with toddlers, right? That is- Please don't do flashcards. It is completely unnecessary for real. Like just, just, you read the flashcards to yourself and just say words out loud. That's how your kid is- is absorbing language. Yeah. And through just real life, right. Just in real, real life, life context. Like yeah. if you're just saying a bunch of words in a row to make sure they've mastered words, you, they're missing such a big piece of the puzzle there really. So I, I encourage you to not worry about teaching language uh, overtly from birth through three, at least. I, I rather, I encourage you to just read things, sing songs, tell stories, talk to them, narrate what you're doing go to the grocery store and name the stuff around you. Like you don't have to be putting them on like ABC mouse and coming up with flashcards and doing no. anything no. like that. And it, yeah, like you said, we talk about in Montessori about going from the concrete to the abstract. And so with language, it's really important to just live your normal life and go see normal things because they're learning cloud, sun, tree, car, and they're much more likely to absorb that when it's in their environment. In context. In context. Mm-hmm. And I know that there I've seen when you go to the pediatrician and they're like, talk through everything you're doing. Of course, like if I'm doing something, I might talk to my daughter about what I'm doing if she's interested. You do not have to constantly talk to your children. That's a good point. That's a good point. And this is kind of a, a confusing thing because... You can over talk. You yeah. can yeah. over talk. So there's... 
it can be kind of confusing because we say, okay, they're absorbing language. So say everything so that they absorb it. And then on the flip side, we're often saying, don't interrupt them, let them concentrate. So Mm. kind of the line that we're towing here is that we allow them to concentrate when they're doing that. So if my child's playing on the floor, I'm not going to come in and tell and narrate what she's doing. If she comes up to me while I'm say cooking and she gets up in her little toddler tower and she's interested in what I'm doing, I will narrate what I'm doing for her. So did I, is that, or is that just more confusing of like, no, do, no, no, I, no, is this no, me no, again? I think no, that's no, perfect. I think, that's, yeah, I think that giving an example of like, they're doing their own thing. They're in mm-hmm. that flow state. They're not asking for what's going on around them. Then just let them be. It's okay to be quiet. But if they're coming to observe a situation. Yeah. I don't want anyone to feel pressured that they need to narrate and read and sing at every moment of every day, because quiet is also important. The ability to focus and concentrate is also important. So there are opportunities to use language and to communicate with your child. And then there are opportunities to not, because can you imagine if someone was talking in your face all day long, I'd be like singing at you, singing everything that you did. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's just very overstimulating. So I just hate when I come on here and I'm like, do it sometimes, but don't do it others. But that's also (laughs) just like life, you know? That's the thing, dude. I think that's in everything. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, that's the thing that makes parenting so exhausting mm-hmm. and just like mind boggling is that everything is like, do it this way, except in all of these scenarios, <laughs> in which yeah. case defer to all of these other ways to do it. Yeah. Well, there's just like so many moments to feel like you're not doing enough. Like if my baby is on the floor during tummy time and they're looking at their mobile or they're playing with a little rattle is it okay that I just sit back and drink my coffee or do I need to go and get down there and point out everything that they see? And so basically the point of this rant was to say, it's okay (laughs) to sit back and drink your coffee. It's okay to take a beat, let them take in their environment, let them focus and concentrate. And that when they're interested in communicating with you, then you communicate with them. So when that door is open, walk through it. Yeah. I think that is an awesome point. I'm glad that you made that point. Yes. All right. The next one on our list is toileting. So this was covered in our last episode between the two of you, the difference between potty training, which tends to be something that is very parent driven and happens a little bit later. A lot of times starts at age three and up versus toilet learning. So toilet learning does again, jive more with a lot of these ideas. So the sensitive period for this concept of kind of moving from diapers to toilets happens to be around one to two and a half for most children. So children begin to be more aware of their bodily functions and even start to show a little bit of control of them around the age of one. Again, depending on the kid, toddlers love to imitate what they see and more than likely they're seeing a parent or caregiver use the toilet. We all know that there is no such thing as privacy anymore. I do not use the bathroom with the door closed unless I am at work. And even then I'm like, oh wow, what a luxury this is. <laughs> it is a luxury. So you've always got a little audience when you're when you're on the toilet. And this is a lesson for them. They are like actually gleaning something from observing you on the toilet. So when toileting is introduced during this sensitive period, which again is a little bit earlier than you might think, it typically comes with a more natural and easier experience since they are genuinely so interested in wanting to try what they're seeing from you and have a little bit more command of their physical being now versus waiting until later when they kind of have gotten used to how they've been 
expelling waste, if you will, and sort of feeling in control of that situation and wanting to keep that sense of control. And now it's much more of a power struggle. There's much more pushback and it can be a much more challenging situation. Again, not always, but it typically tends to be a fight potty training. You very rarely hear about that with like a warm, fuzzy, happy, enjoyable connotation. It tends to be one of the least favorable experiences for most parents, right? So just being aware of this could really change that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, this is just like, I've taught this and I've preached it, but I never actually have done it until now. And he was uh, not even two and he was definitely showing signs and ready. And I can't even imagine if I would have waited till now because even just the flip in like the four months, the development from when he was ready to when he, and when he started using it to now, like right now in our life, everything is no and everything is it's a battle. I feel like right now, whereas then it was like the best thing ever to get to use the toilet. So even just the smallest of window for him and that's just my child like may I feel like made this huge difference because it wasn't a battle. He was showing interest in, and he wanted it so badly almost. I wasn't ready and he wanted it. So I had to dive in and follow him. Whereas now I cannot even imagine if I would be like, hey, we're going to try to use the toilet or he would like scream at me. But now he know his body already knows how. So he's it, it's a normal for him to go. Yeah. If you're interested in toilet learning our episode was episode 13 potty in the usa it's not that you can only potty in the usa but you know miley cyrus if you know you know so it's miley cyrus right yes yeah yeah of course it is uh so if you're interested in that you can go back to that episode and i'm not going to say a bunch on that because we just talked about it but i will say that our experience this week after having that conversation with Rachel has been amazing. It has not been a battle, not been a struggle, and it has been very successful. And I am happy to have one out of diapers, one to go. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's awesome. So that's great that you were able to capitalize on that sensitive period because you were aware of it and it made it so much less of a battle. And then you had some really good tips and tricks for Megan, who has also felt like she's been in this period for a little while now and now is able to like, again, capitalize on it. So it's better for the kid, but it's also better for you as the parent. So this is why we think these things are so important and worth knowing. All right. So hopefully we have your interest at this point and you are wanting to know more about these windows. There is more information. We have decided that we would rather not do like a four hour episode or rather (laughs) break this into two. So we're going to stop at this one for now. And then I'll give you like a real quick rundown of what's to come, hopefully hook you for part two. So for the end of part one, the last one, small objects, there is this intense fascination. You could honestly say obsession with small objects Mm -hmm. in most children from ages one to three. So you start to see this around the age of one, children really have this fascination with tiny little objects and small details. They might just stop in the middle of the sidewalk to look at an ant for what feels like an eternity. They are loving like little tiny animals and small figurines. You might have them getting really into dollhouses, which are, you know, it's a small house with small people and small furniture in it. All of these things start to become really, really, really huge for them. 
And what's cool about that and kind of respecting that, giving them opportunities to explore these tiny things and observe them and just kind of fighting that instinct to be like, it's an ant, like get over it. Let's move. Let's go. Let's go. Or, oh, gross. It's a bug. Get away. You know, like if you can let them, I keep using the verb capitalize, but if you can let (laughs) them synonym for capitalize on these experiences, what you are actually doing in this sensitive period is you are helping them to build focus and concentration. The amount of effort that it takes to sit quietly and follow with your eyes, this tiny little ant all through the sidewalk is monumental. I mean, that's huge. We have already grown impatient. We're over it. Get away from the ant. I'm done here. They are learning focus and concentration in that moment. So these, this fascination with tiny objects and observing them is way deeper than, than you think it is. What do you want to say about tiny objects, guys? So, yes, I there are tiny objects scattered everywhere in my home. If you open <laughs> my side drawer table, there is just a farm of tiny animals in my drawer at my nightstand. I don't know how they got there. I don't know when they got there. But when I opened it up earlier to get my glasses, I was like, oh, there's an entire farm family in my drawer. So I feel like this is something that every toddler parent can relate to. And one of the hard things about it is around, if we talk about around one, they start to get into these really tiny objects. But this is also the time that they like want to stick things in their mouth or shove it up their nose. And it's not safe. Yeah. You know hide them in tiny places and get things stuck. And it can be a nuisance, honestly. It can be annoying. It can annoying. be nerve-wracking. It can be, yeah, it can be scary. The choking hazard part makes you it's like want so to take scary. every tiny object away. Yeah, they know how to find every small piece of anything on the floor, every tiny pebble, every grain of sand, yep. they will find it. So mostly I just want to say that as all those feelings can arise in a parent, it's nice to know that there are positives to this and that there is a reason that this is happening. And hopefully that can get you through this stage if that's how you're feeling about these tiny objects being all over your home. Yeah. It, I mean, it truly does. It truly does help build concentration. I see a lot of it happening with my young, young children in my class when we're outside and they see that ant and all of a sudden five toddlers are all just staring at this little poor ant that's now surrounded by five toddlers and is about to get smushed. But they're so in awe of this little tiny object and the concentration. I mean, this is like maybe an 18 month old I'm speaking about. And I give them a ball or something and they throw it and then they're done. But then they're laying on the ground looking at this ant for like five plus minutes and so interested in that. And that's really building the skill of concentration. Yeah. And so when we talk about taking advantage, like if we asked a nine-year-old to go out and watch an ant for 45 (laughs) minutes, they would be much more interested in talking to the person next to them, in engaging socially with their classmates. And so this really is a sensitive period that we want to take advantage of. So yeah, as hard as it is, maybe slow down a little bit and allow them to have those prolonged moments of concentration. Totally. I agree. I agree. And I feel like a lot of parents have the complaint that they're struggling with getting their kid to focus or concentrate on something. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. they're kind of like trying to all of a sudden bolster that skill at the age of like six. I just do think you have a good point that it's worth understanding why it is important to, obviously there's going to be times where you have to take the tiny object away. They really are going to put it in their mouth. It's not good. You know, like whatever. There are going to be times where you have to shut down the tiny object fascination and obsession. 
Yeah, like my daughter was really interested in a shard of glass, wanted to take it home with us and wanted to hold it. And that was a time that that's just not going to be an option yeah. for us. Yeah, that's <laughs> Sorry, but you can't have this shard I don't of like that choice. <laughs> um, well, I will just, I maybe this is a good time to just like throw in one more time that there are always boundaries in this Montessori philosophy. When we're applying this stuff, we're never just saying that like, because the kid is into it, just free for all, have at it. Don't worry how dangerous it gets. We are never, ever saying that. We're just trying to explain why the kids are into the things that they're into. And the skills that they're trying to acquire. Right. What's important behind it, what's really going on for them developmentally. So we'll stop there for today, but coming up in part two, we will talk about the sense of order. Ooh, that's a big one. That's a huge, huge one. one. And that right there is probably going to cover a lot of the power struggles that you are experiencing if you have or have had recently a child from ages like one and a half to four, roughly. Beyond that, we're going to talk about the refinement of the senses. Okay. Super important concept. Grace and courtesy. We did touch on this with a whole entire episode, but we'll talk about it in terms of the sensitive period in children for grace and courtesy, the refinement of movement. And so, you know, we're going going now from gross motor to fine motor skills, and we will cover social skills, learning to write, learning to read, the sensitive period for mathematics and an interest in math and numbers. And then we will do a overview of what the sensitive periods look like in the second plane of development. So that would be, you know, my wheelhouse, Megan's wheelhouse six through 12, which look very different. They kind of cover a different span of concepts, but are still very much there and very much important to recognize. So in the meantime, we want to just go ahead and plug Montessori in real life. This is a great blog page and they have a great blog on sensitive periods specifically. So please check out Montessori in real life, but also come back next week for part two, because I think all of those other things are also so, so cool and important, and I am excited to talk about them. So please come listen. Please. Okay. (laughs) So let's, let's finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. Who wants to go first? I have another self-tanner story. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, I had my sister's bridal luncheon last weekend, so I had to like get all tanned up because I'm wearing (laughs) this. I don't even remember what I wore. I think I ended up wearing a burnt orange dress with like ruffles or something. I don't know. But I had like this periwinkle dress with no sleeve, sleeveless. And I was like, I'm not wearing that. I'm very pregnant and it just looked terrible, I felt like. So I wore this other dress, but I put it on the night before and then I slept in it. I like rinsed off in the morning just because I typically do that with it. Hold on. I thought you were talking about the dress at first. Yeah, I did too. I did too. I, <laughs> I did like, too. You just said it so calmly and nonchalant. Like <laughs> then I slept in it. And I, was I just like, put on my burnt orange <laughs> ruffle dress and tucked in for the night, comfy cozy in my ruffles. <laughs> okay, I'll make it clear. Do you not get dressed for a formal brunch the night before, Megan? <laughs> What is wrong with you? I I slept in my tanner in probably my Napoleon (laughs) Dynamite t-shirt. And then you lost me where you're like, I woke up and washed it off. And I was like- (laughs) I rinsed. Oh, rinsed it off. You rinsed rinsed my dress down. And you were just talking about it. Like everyone sleeps in their dresses and rinses them (laughs) off. This is common knowledge. Okay. So you put on the self-tanner. Yes, I put on my self-tanner the night before. 
your body okay the next morning and then I put on this burn orange dress but I I realized I'm really tired of this moment in my life and I definitely I haven't done self-tanner legit really good and since last summer you know so my feet y'all I mean they just looked or I mean I swear they looked the same as my dress and I was like (laughs) this is not okay and then my hands I forgot to wash them cute little orange pregnant (laughs) Like, not the color orange, but the fruit orange. <laughs> just so a cutie. Like a clementine. Well, yeah. <laughs> or just a little clementine yeah. with ruffles. Like a little halo. No. Uh-huh. Anyway, so my mom and sister, you look fine. Da, da, da. Time goes on. I go to my OB again Monday. And I just always forget how embarrassing it is to only have, like, yourself tanner to, like, right above your knee to where your dress is falling and then like only the places on my body that were like obviously showing when I was wearing my dress and then my OB's like checking everything and I'm just laying there and I'm like so freaking white as a ghost and then the rest of me is like orange that's just my life right now I guess I'm gonna make you an appointment for a spray tan (laughs) full body full body full body spray tan yeah because I think you need that in your life just get all the crevices (laughs) crevices <laughs> the crevices <laughs> my huge belly oh my yeah God. haven't you gone oh, to get gosh. one you have to like lift up your butt cheeks and yeah no I've definitely I've got I've got one before but not pregnant I can't imagine oh getting God. one pregnant how would I even lift my belly up yeah. to get those crevices <laughs> you bend and spread <laughs> you just cut all of bend and spread okay Can I? will I will I cut all of this no Oh my god. Okay. Um I don't I don't really I didn't come prepared with one. Although Megan, you kind of lobbed me a softball in the beginning before we actually started recording. We were talking about going to the park with Rachel and you were laughing about taking a note that meant nothing to you, but it meant something to me. It reminded <laughs> me that my child is either going to be the next like great world leader advocate for change <laughs> or or a criminal mastermind <laughs> that leads some of the worst villains that the world has known to the abyss. Because first of all, she was doing her own damn thing the whole time, which was a little bit driving me crazy because I just wanted to have one conversation with you, which was not happening. I mean, but, between the three toddlers, just I know, all going off was, in separate we, directions, it just was not going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. I I did that to myself. What a naive and foolish expectation to have with three toddlers at a massive, amazingly cool park with like very few gates to contain them. (laughs) Well, there was one gate that was supposed to contain them from where we were standing and attempting our conversation to to. a massive body of water with canoes (laughs) and geese and ducks. And my kid decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find a weak spot in this fence and I'm going to go through (laughs) it and I'm going to take myself swimming. I'm going to have a little dip with the geese because that's the kind of kid that I am. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Luckily for me, the gap that she found between the fence and like the canoe house, the canoe, the boat house, I don't know what it is. There's a small space. Yeah, the canoe house. (laughs) We were having a conversation. She's sneaking over. I see her. I'm like, hey, (laughs) peanut. She looks back. She's like, just shit eating grin, (laughs) just toothless grin coming at me and attempts to quickly slide her body in the gap. (laughs) 
luckily for me and her 90th percentile noggin, she couldn't get very far before <laughs> I was able to scoop her back out and return her to where we were. However, she set off a bit of a chain reaction because <laughs> Megan's kids were like, oh, snap, you can get over there? There's a spot in the fence? And one by one, they <laughs> they snuck to the fence every time Megan turned to tell me something. And both of them successfully made it like 98% of the way through the fence as Megan's like, no, 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 just pulling them back through. They're like, we belong to the geese now, mother. So my daughter got all the way through around the fence and I had to stick my hands through the iron fence and grab her by her shirt. <laughs> yeah, you're right. She was more than 98%. She made, yeah, she made it all she the was way. over there. And this will be probably a confession for another time, but was a little a little shy about it because um, she has fallen into a body of water before. So <laughs> I was like, get over here and... Yeah, so Laura's child is just leading the <laughs> leading, rebellion. Leading yeah. the mm-hmm. rebellion. Anyway, Megan, Megan you what have, you got? You, you got, got something? something for us. I, wait, I was like digging deep because I couldn't think of anything this week. So I did some meditating on my past <laughs> trauma. <laughs> oh, boy. And I came up with this nice little anecdote about – I think I was in the third grade, okay? Okay. And – my school was having like a spirit week and I always really got into spirit week. I was really good friends with this girl, Kayla, who's still one of my friends now. Hey, Kayla. Her mom, she like sewed costumes all the time and she made all of our Halloween costumes. And so we always had the coolest costumes. They had a whole room of all of her sewing stuff and it was just boxes of boxes of all of these costumes. So one day during spirit week, there was clown day. I don't know who came up with this day, but it was clown day. And I went over to Kayla's house and we had this whole like preparation time and like got the big, like <laughs> the big clown pants, you know? Oh, yeah. They're like yes. silky and colorful and like clown shoes and the curly wig. The full wig. The makeup, all of it. Do you have the nose, the red nose? I don't remember. A lot of it I tried to block out, so I don't know for sure exactly what my outfit was, but got all dressed up in the morning, got to school. No one was dressed up for <laughs> No. And I had to go. No. I'm going to cry. Hold on. <laughs> Wait. Hold on. Like, no one? You mean At no least- one. Me and Kayla. You and Kayla. At least you and Kayla. <laughs> but you. also, that's still way too few people to be rolling in dressed in full <laughs> clowning garb. I mean, if I if I remember, like, there was probably someone that, like, had a nose or whatever, like, did not take it this seriously. And I, <laughs> you guys, I was mortified. Like, I walked into school and was like, how – I can't, like, undo this. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. I, <laughs> there's no one doing the clown outfit. And I am so, in too deep. So I had to go the whole day dressed as a clown. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, like, I have to know now. I'll text people and be like, what are you wearing? Like, I. <laughs> <laughs> Can you send me a picture? What's what's the vibe here? What is everybody wearing? And then if there's ever any kind of dress up party or anything like that, I will, like, put my clothes in a backpack and, like, put it on my back <laughs> and then show up and be like, everyone dressed up. Okay, I have my costume. I'll go put it on in the bathroom. So that's my confession is that I showed up to school as a clown. When and nobody else. No one clown. else did. Yeah. 
I love that. I had to dig deep for that one. That's a memory. That's for sure. I'm going to try to do that for the next one. I'm going to try to bring out a big old traumatic event of my own. We've all done it now. So we all can have a nice giggle. We've done it. It's your turn. Uh, Yeah, I got to think of a good one from childhood. Oh, they're in there. They're in there. there. It's just a matter of how messed up do I want to be for the rest of the week after that. All right. I feel like let's just wrap it up. Let's wrap it up, folks. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe and rate. You can also review on Apple Podcasts. And if you could do that, you will be my new best friend. So (laughs) if you could do that. (laughs) Like now. I wish they could have seen your face when you delivered those words. Okay. Anyway, um, I forgot where I was. This is a mess. Who let me do this? (laughs) We are available on Spotify and now you guys. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, no. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. We're already there. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. Think of sad things. Get it together. Think of sad things. <laughs> sad things. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram. <laughs> Abandoned dogs. Dead butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> took a turn. It took a turn. Okay. Okay. I can do this. I could never be an actress. Okay. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori. <laughs> Wow. I, I know. Somebody oh, my we were, gosh. We were in the home stretch. You were rounding third and I just laid lo- down and took a nap. I started looking at you both. I just need to hold it up like this. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next week, stay wild. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm like reading, like meeting new levels of delusion. I think I'm going to start crying about my clown dressing days. (laughs) 